We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to the Esports Biz Show. I'm your host, Justin Jacobson. This week we'll be discussing esports influencer marketing. Just as a disclaimer, nothing here is intended as legal advice as all the information is for educational purposes only. This week's guest is Brett Ferguson. Brett is currently the head of business development for OTK Media. OTK is an influencer network and media company built by creators for creators. They partner with authentic, relatable influencers to develop innovative and engaging digital media content. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Justin, thanks so much for having me. My pleasure. So to start, you know, tell us a little about your past esports and gaming experience. What was the first game you played and you know, how'd you kind of get involved in the industry? Yeah, man. Great question. Um, so I'll take this in like three pillars, right? Uh, past esports and gaming experience maybe different to a lot of the guests that you've had on before. I came from a non-traditional um, outlet to gaming and esports. Most of my traditional background was in sports and then SaaS software. So the most important thing specifically for business development, sales, things like that in gaming is that you have to have those transferable skills from other industries and be able to apply it to gaming and quickly learn. So that's been a lot of what me, what I've been doing. It's taking those practices from other industries and applying it to gaming in my own twist and constantly educating myself. The first game I've ever played. So disclaimer, I was always a, always a nerd. Like I played sports, grew up in sports, played football, wrestling, the whole bit but was always so enthused with gaming. And the first one I ever picked up was World of Warcraft back way in the day during vanilla. Uh, I think I was in kindergarten. Okay, so a real game. It's not like, oh, I played Madden with all my friends. Like, we all played Madden. Right. Yeah, <laughs> man. A real, uh, real, real sweaty nerd gamer game. <laughs> uh, I just fell in love with it. I fell in love with the world. I fell in love with the immersion. And I, I thought it was such a cool expression for myself outside of, you know, just or regular media outlet at the time, or just outside of what my normal realm of responsibilities or what people knew me as. It was it was something that was really cool and innovative at the time. And still to this day, I'm still playing TBC Classic. Um, now, how I got involved in esports and gaming was it was just a passion for it. I knew that there, like I said earlier, there were a lot of transferable skills that I had to bring from sales and business development and other avenues. And I could apply that to esports and gaming in many different ways. But then on top of it, make sure I you know, educate myself on industry terms, standards, and how people go about their motion in this industry. Definitely. Well, you know, a lifelong StarCraft and StarCraft II guy, I definitely understand what goes down with that so let's talk a little about otk you know what is it and kind of why was it started and who's part of it sure man yeah so otk is such a unique organization um they've kind of pioneered their kind of organization in the space what a lot of people think about when they think of gaming organizations they think immediately esports competition winning the lcs winning csgo winning all these big game titles and getting million dollar, um, million dollar prize pools for their talent. Where OTK is so different from that is we're more content centric. We want to sit where the content creators are. Maybe they're not the best at a certain game, but maybe they're the most entertaining talent on the platform. Let's create content specific for them. 
So ideally, Asmongold, Tips Out, Mizkiff, Rich Campbell, Jay Schladden, all these guys came together and they said, we wanted to create a new mold for organizations across gaming and esports. And it was started ultimately with that thought in mind. Let's change the way content is developed on Twitch. And that came apart because, funny enough, classic World of Warcraft. And a lot of those connections were made through various people and places, through different games and creative strategy to ultimately bringing these guys together to create OTK. Um, And then now, you know, looking ahead about going on two years later, they've completely shifted the mold of how content's created on the platform. Well, yeah, so I think that's tease that point out a little bit you know we've had a lot of traditional esports organizations who you know like you said they have these professional teams but they also have content creators in this whole content side but they have owners and third-party investors is this organization otk kind of structured like that where they all the different people are owners and there's kind of income that comes in from all the stream and it's like they're operating like a business or is it more of like, Hey, we're each going to promote each other's stuff. And you know, we're kind of part of this, but we're all kind of lone wolves in a sense also. Great question. Yeah. So OTK as a whole was obviously started by a bunch of creators, They're internal stakeholders in the company and they own the company as a whole. So my boss is Asmongold, Ms. Kiff, S fan, all those guys. Um, where it's different from where you'll see in a lot of other organizations, um, some things get segmented and things, like you said, people will kind of go off on their own lone wolf pattern, but are a part of the organization. Something that we look at OTK to is we ensure that authenticity is our North star. And we want to ultimately have a group of friends internally that are making the best, most innovative content on the platform. So that takes a lot of codependency on behalf of the creators to make that happen. And then the creators on the behind the scenes staff like me to say, hey, Brett, we have this really unique content piece coming out. Um, It's me, X, it's three of us, for example. We need to find brand partners, sponsors that can relate to that in an authentic way. So ultimately, then I would work on behalf of them and do everything in my job, which we could talk about later. But that piece of authenticity is so crucial to what we do because OTK only works as a team effort. Yeah, you have some of the biggest content creators in the industry that are a part of this team, but ultimately they work as a collective in a unit to make the most engaging content on the platform. Do they all live in like a content house or is that, you know, kind of the passe way to do this? It's interesting. So some live together, some live with streamers that aren't even a part of OTK. Um, Most everything is centralized in Austin, Texas. We do have a few creators that don't live in Austin. They kind of fly around from place to place. Um, For example, Rich Campbell. um, He's up in New York, then he's in Austin, then he's in California, right? So it just depends. Um, But ultimately, yes. So everybody does operate out of a couple houses that we do have, for example, S-Fan's house, Miskiff's house, um, where they create ultimately the content. And then also we outsource, you know, to for specific events, we'll get um, we'll get different sets or whatever it may be f- to create that content on it as well. So kind of a mixture of both, like your new age media content creation style where you have a house and then also that traditional media where we're actually going to a set and creating the content from there. Well, I think that's interesting and it kind of leads to, you know, kind of how it all works where it's like, you know, does each person have their own creative control on what they're doing or do they have, you know, oh, we want to do this, but certain people might have different voting shares or it's just we all have the same goal. So like are, we're going to eventually align anyway, as we know, creators and creative people sometimes have their own differences. Yeah, man. No. And it's a great call out because one part of the beauty of OTK is how different our creators are to each other. You'll find that a lot of our creators are leading their respective categories or genres in streaming. Just to highlight a few. Asmongold, we know him as the MMO king, right? Imaru, she's a leading League of Legends streamer right now. Tectone, he's leading the Genshin Impact section, right? So in their respective games or genres, they're kind of at the forefront of what they do. So ultimately... We know that our creators are going to create the best content because they're the number one at their respective category. And with that, 
we give creative freedom 110%. Considering that they're the owners, they kind of, you know, make sure that they have creative freedom. But ultimately, everybody internally wants to work alongside them to create their dream. And a lot of the people internally, a lot of the talent buy into that as well. Even if it's something outside of their wheelhouse, they're passionate about creating the best content no matter what. So even if it's something they wouldn't regularly do, like Imaru might do something completely different than what Asmongold does, but they want to support each other both on those endeavors because we know that there's a variety of different markets of consumers on Twitch. Definitely. And I always come from the same mindset of, you know, together we win, you know, the more people, the same goal, trying to help each other is better than five people on their own trying to do their own thing. And I think that, you know, that might not necessarily be how most people operate, but, you know, coming from these more traditional worlds, as you had mentioned earlier, that's how they really succeed. These strategic partnerships, these getting these people whose ultimate goals align because what's good for them is good for everyone. What's good for the goose is good for the gander and understanding that that's how business really operates. And that's how the most successful, you know, ventures, especially in these entertainment, sports, video game worlds happen. Exactly. No, I couldn't have said it better. Um, and it, it, it's so crucial to our content model because, you know, a guy like me, I'm forward facing with brands, right? People, you know, in the gaming space, a quote unquote suit, right? But these content creators, they're all friends. That's the beauty of it. They're all, at, they interface with each other on and off stream, content or no content. They're friends. So like you said, as a collective, we win. It's very authentic and natural between these guys because, like I said, it's it takes away the business of it and it puts it into a perspective where they're just a group of friends that are wanting to make the best content possible. People just like you and I, right? But that is the power of OTK too because that's why the group is so exclusive because you don't want to bring in any bad blood from another spot that could ultimately mess up the dynamic of a group of friends, right? Just making the best content possible. 100%. So tell us a little about some of the stuff that they've worked on, you know, some of the past work and some upcoming stuff. And I know the OTK Games Expo is right ahead. So let us know about that. Yeah, no. Oh, my gosh. Um, I'll be able to share here as much as I can share um, release content. Obviously, we have the best, you know, in my opinion, a little bit biased, but we have the best content slate in 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 this digital media age right now. Um so some of the upcoming content, right? You mentioned the OTK Games Expo. Um, that is going to be one of the most innovative events in Twitch history. What you're doing is you're ultimately taking a lot of the traditional style of how these Games Expos are articulated and flipping it on its head where we're putting creators face first in authentically communicating these games to their audience. So ultimately, this idea was started because... Asman has seen a million game shows or a million games expos across his time in streaming and knows that it's so important for creators to be able to live where their audience lives. So he came up with this idea. Let's not only have a games expo where we're, we're showcasing these AAA studios and we're, we're just showing off a bunch of cool games to make a quick buck. Let's sit where the passion is in the industry and let's find a bunch of indie game studios that have incredible games, but maybe they just don't have the platform to showcase those games. So throughout this event, we're going to be giving away over $50,000 in developmental prizes to these specific indie game studios, all voted upon by our community. While that's happening, you know, normally you might have a caster or a face during these shows that you might, you know, might know, might not know. But in this, you'll you'll get OTK, you'll get Asmongold, you'll get Mizkif, you'll 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 get all of these wonderful creators authentically articulating these games, having conversations with these devs, um, and giving away money to passion projects that may not have the support they get. So, with a show like this, and then on top of a million other content pieces coming out, um, there's a lot of work to be done at OTK, but the future is so exciting. Because content pieces like this are really shaking the foundation of, of what content creators can do on Twitch. And you're seeing more and more of it pop up everywhere now. 100%. I mean, I noticed, you know, when Gen G released, you know, their partnership with the game developer, I said, this is this is a revolutionary thing in the esports business. This is changing the dynamic. We're now not a developers in this power. It's like our game, we're in charge of, we own the rights to it. You have to come to us, you have to join our league, you need to, you know, 
spend time with us to get the in-game skins, etc. It's like we want to partner with you. We want to use your network, your creators, like you said, you know, your spin on how you do these games and partner with you so that you're kind of part of this and it incentivizes you to continue to want to grow with us and to present our games and you know, at PAX East, they had a really great, you know, demo space. I'm sure you saw with Gen G with that developer to try out the new game where, you know, they had Gen G staff there and you can get all kinds of merch and all kinds of exclusive stuff. So, you know, I think kind of what you're doing is being able to take the people who are playing these games at the highest level and now showcasing the indie developers who might not be able to afford the space at PAX or, you know, one of these larger conferences, but have something valuable and, now you're kind of taking the authenticity and love for these games that the influencers have and kind of pairing it together. So, you know, I think it's pretty interesting and it seems like this might be a new trend and, you know, I'm sure we'll see some more developers seeing how they can work with, you know, directly with creators or more organizations to be directly to the consumer in this, you know, authentic way. Exactly. I mean, who knows it better than the people that are playing, right? And who knows the people that are playing better than their creators? So it's such a natural, authentic way for game development studios to not only showcase their games, but get feedback, real-time feedback, where they can have people playtesting their game and giving them ultimately the information that they need to make the most successful game out there. Absolutely. So what are some of the brands that, you know, OTK has worked with in the past? Yeah, no, I'd love to talk about our brand partners. Um, one longstanding one is uh, we do work with a variety of the PepsiCo portfolio. Uh, one longstanding partner, shout out Game Fuel. Um, they've been with us from day one. They've supported us through a multitude of different projects from the highs to the lows. They've been incredible throughout. Um, and then ultimately, we actually just worked on a deal where now we are into uh, Gatorade and Mountain Dew uh, regular, a, a whole too. So that's very exciting. Um, in the past, for for example, one of our shows, Schooled, uh, we worked with Coinbase where we did a ton of fun integrations where we figured out how we could leverage Schooled as a platform to educate people on crypto economy and also on Tune to get people really engaged with Coinbase Wallet. Um, quick stat, we saw during our Coinbase activation over 42,000 clicks um, on a Coinbase wallet link, which is mind-blowing. And that's episode two through nine. So on part of that, man, we've we've worked with Chipotle uh, throughout a variety of events. For example, with our Thanksgiving event, we had them you know, cater our whole Thanksgiving, had a play themed around it, did a lot of custom integrations, product placement inside of the stream. Um, and so, you know, those are just to quote a few of our brand partners. And we have a lot of exciting opportunities and pipeline to work with some another amazing brands. Um, but ultimately, the, the big lever there for us was how can we not only make sure that we put our creators at the forefront of their marketing initiatives, but how can we authenticate it in, or authentically communicate it in an OTK way? So we've seen a lot of really fun integrations from uh, Overwolf's Outplayed during our Apex Legends Invitational, where we have Coach S-Fand in a green screen in Apex Legends talking about how they can level up their game through playing uh, for the, through using Outplayed to capture their uh, gameplay or level up through add-ons. So a ton of fun stuff going on. Um, and ultimately, you know, brand partners are, are extremely excited about that. Absolutely. So do you kind of think this is kind of the business and the future of this where you're having these talent collectives or groups of gamers coming together to launch their own media network and to kind of leverage all of their networks and their capabilities together to help each other? Absolutely. I think that the the future is going to be segmented. I think we're going to see a lot more specifically esports centric organizations and then we're going to see a lot more content-centric organizations. Now, there is some overlap in between the two. You might have creators running tournaments like, for example, what we did with the Apex Legends Invitational or what Ludwig's doing with Fortnite, running a Fortnite Monday. Um, there's a lot of content creators that are towing the line between creating these really authentic events, creator-ran invitationals, tournaments, 
And then on the other side of it being that traditional esports model where they're winning the LCS or winning large CSGO tournaments. Um, and I think what we're going to find is a lot of the kind uh, similar to OTK coming into the space rapidly with with the evolution of content on Twitch, specifically over COVID, we've seen more innovative content pieces come out than ever before in history. So from game shows to um, Jerma had a wonderful uh, playhouse. It was a dollhouse stream where he had everybody interactive with each other through chat. There's going to be brand new content pieces that are coming out that are completely shifting the mold of the industry. And I think we're going to start finding that a lot more content cre- uh, content creators are going to come together as a collective and create something as a unit because they already have their marketing strategy and initiative down. Let's just put it underneath one name and then let's create the content that we're so passionate about. So kind of on the execution side, you know, obviously, you know, like you said, they have their marketing and their abilities to promote and create this content. But what about the back end stuff? You know, do they need, you know, individuals like you and other professionals to kind of handle the back end administrative stuff? They're not used to maybe handling getting permits, getting, you know, different licenses, hiring third party vendors, making sure you have agreements in place with them, making sure you're actually operating like a business. They're used to just putting it on Twitch and Twitch putting money in their account. Yeah, no, I, you couldn't have said it better. A lot of, you know, creators, they, they're focused on their content. They're, they're modern day celebrities, right? Um, and do we expect, you know, do we expect NFL players to handle their contracts, make brand partnership deals, put in third party assets for them to be able to track their engagement, things like that? Absolutely not. While working out and learning the playbook and going to different games and playing. Exactly. Exactly. They, they don't, they don't handle any of that. They have people that handle it for them. Right. So I think that absolutely. Um, Now, do I think that there's in specifically streaming, there's creators that are entrepreneurs and can sell. They do understand business strategy. They do understand marketing. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. But I do believe that, you know, for, for example, finding brand partners, that is something that takes a full-time position to do. Even At if least you have one, the, if not five. Right. Even if you have the best content in the industry, it doesn't matter. You still have to have headcount. So absolutely. Like, uh, I think that we're going to find more so that there, there's going to be a lot more of a strategy to run this like a business, to run this with a full sales cycle to have reps that are out there working and prospecting and closing deals. And then having the whole back end, whether it's attorneys, accountants, CPAs, people that are making the actual finances operate because, you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes into paying taxes, you know, entering these agreements, invoicing for these agreements. Right. Right. And, and even tracking it too. It's like, how can we, you know, it's great to have a bunch of emails in from your brand partners, but how can we track that? How can we build long-standing relationships? Um, all of that has to be taken into account. So, yeah, absolutely, you're on the money. There's there's so much stuff that goes into it in the back end that operates like a normal business. Except your product is the people. Your product is the the wonderful people that are making these innovative content pieces. Awesome. I mean, this definitely mirrors kind of where I see a lot of this stuff going. So what's some advice you have for talent looking to create something like this? Is it kind of like you have different games or you want to have the same game, different genres? Like how how do you think something like this could be, you know, work? I think the most important thing, regardless of scale, regardless if you have a thousand viewers, regardless if you have 10,000 viewers, I think the most important part from what I've seen our talent be successful with is just being themselves and creating the content that they want to create. From that, I believe that there's a lot of attraction from other talent, maybe in a different genre, a different game, a different style of content creation that will take note of that. And they'll appreciate those people for being at the top of their respective category or having a tight knit community where the ideals are very similar to another. So I think it'll happen on a variety of skills from your largest streamers coming together, making an organization to even small streamers two, 300 viewers uh, that are coming together and making, making content together and ultimately bolstering each other through each other's communities and creating a collective that can be a melting pot of everything that they do across their content. 100%. I mean, it, 
definitely makes a lot of sense, especially as we start seeing the way some of you know the larger orgs are operating, and you know some of the losses that you know these publicly traded ones are sharing are pretty shocking. You're talking about you know millions of dollars in losses each quarter, and that's kind of on par, right? And it's 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 something that's sad to see. You never, you know, I'm I'm all about the the space of you know. Yeah, obviously you might have competitors, but you want everybody to succeed in this space. It's it's something that we all have a passion for. And so when you see other organizations coming out with loss statements or in their, you know, at the end of year showing that ultimately they aren't as doing as successful as they put out on the outside. That's that's very sad to hear. Um, because we're all in it together, but I think that there's going to be a lot more honing in on making sure that the creators have creative freedom and the organization is not only a place they want to be, but they have to be in order to be able to get the content that they need out, um, with the support of wonderful staff and people. Does that make this kind of business model a bit more appealable or it's like, Hey, these orgs are clearly hemorrhaging money. It, we're not we're going to be kind of you know in the black from day one because we're already making money and we already have this whole infrastructure going right right and and it's and you're putting the power in the creator's hands which is where it needs to be um just like for example uh, you could take this even into music you wouldn't tell kanye how to write his album but we're finding that people are telling content creators how to make their content so it's it's something where we as professionals in this space have to make sure that we take into account in our business where we're putting the power in the creator's hands for them to authentically create what they want to create and be able to tell the story for brand partners of why they're working with them and what the power of their community is. Because ultimately, if we put the power in the content creator's hands, what are we doing? We're giving everything back to their community as well, which again leads to all of our suit metrics, your engagement rate, to your total reach, to your monthly chat engagements. All that stuff take, gets taken into account where everybody's where everybody's happy. Absolutely. So how does it kind of work when you're you know talking with a brand? And what are some of the big hurdles you've kind of experienced and some things that kind of surprised you as you're kind of approaching them, you know, when you're talking about OTK or just the esports and gaming space in general? I think this falls into two sections. Um we use the terms of endemic and non-endemic. If you're viewing the podcast or watch, listening to the podcast and you, you're unsure what that means, endemic pretty much means they bought into the space. They're actively working with people in the space. Non-endemic is, hey, they're kind of testing the waters. They want to see what's out there. For our endemic crowd, our endemic crowd's a lot more fluid to be able to work with the content creators because in the past, they've maybe, maybe not had marketing initiatives where they had very strict guidelines. There was this ad read you had to do to the T every single word on that paper that they had to read out to their communities that didn't do well, that didn't have a lot of reception. But then we're seeing these endemic players now start saying, hey, let's put the power in the content creator's hands. So instead of giving them this ad read, say, hey, this is our idea. This is the campaign that we're running. What can you guys do for us? And ultimately, what these content creators do in a similar model to OTK is they're constantly thinking of new ways that they can engage their audience, right? So what I'll do on that behalf is figure out a part of their campaign that makes sense. So if it's crypto, if it's food and bev, if it's um, automotive, whatever it may be, let's integrate that into the event that we already have planned, where we're already working on a specific event and we can integrate it any way. So there's a lot of ebb and flow between the brand and the organization to authentically integrate themselves into existing content pieces as bespoke takes a little bit longer, um, which, you know, we've kind of shied away from at OTK uh, because we have so many amazing content pieces already in pipeline that we can figure out ways to integrate brands authentically that way. Um, the biggest hurdle comes from an endemic. It's more so building rapport and trust if people have gotten burned before let's say they didn't hit their roi metrics or there wasn't a ton of engagement but they spent two three four five hundred k 
that doesn't really leave a good taste in their mouth. So they want to build rapport and make sure that what we're what we're educating the market with is accurate to what they can expect with if they engage with an event for OTK. In regards to non-endemic, the hurdle there is a lot of education. It's it's speaking on behalf of the space and the power of why we should work together and why either A, we should be their first venture or B, we should we should innovate the way that they're doing their marketing initiatives. So Non-endemic is a little bit more tricky. Uh, There's a lot of ways that we have to educate brands to understand what our space entails rather than them just thinking, oh, it's somebody that throws a camera on and presses a go live button and now they're streaming. Now we, for example, Asmin had over 430,000 people live in his stream yesterday watching the Amber Heard Johnny Depp case. Conceptualizing that, for the non-endemic brands, endemics, it makes sense to. Non-endemics, conceptually, conceptualizing that to them comes in the power of analytics saying, hey, during this two-hour stream, we saw 400,000 people live in the chat right or there. like 10 Madison Square Gardens, you know? <laughs> right, right. And comparing that to traditional media outlets along with like how people are engaging with it and what the industry average is there for traditional media or esports as a whole is so crucial to educate them on. Um, yeah, and I, I think was there anything else I missed there, or did I no? I think all? that was amazing. So I really think that you know we touched on it a little bit, and to kind of flesh it out a little bit is you know coming from the traditional sports world and now working in the esports and gaming space. What kind of similarities have you noticed? What about some differences between the two areas? Yeah, um, I think similarities. I'll start off with that. Um, talent is talent, man. They're the, they do the they they have come to the forefront and to the summit of what they do in their respective industries for a reason. Juju Smith-Schuster caught a lot of footballs before he was starting at wide receiver for the Pittsburgh Steelers, right? Same way we can think of it in the content space industry. Asmongold has made a ton of videos and streamed countless hours to be at the top of where they are. There's a lot of similarities in the talent and the passion for what they do and giving control over to them, which is, which is so important, especially for what I do and getting our brand partners involved with that. Obviously some differences, uh, a huge difference obviously is the, the execution of content. We find that in the traditional media world, things are a little bit more buttoned up. There's a little bit more of a timeline where, Hey, we're going to do this specific event place thing merch drop in q3 of 2025 or 2024 there's this huge far out planning in this space very different somebody will come and say hey there's this new trend that's come out a big thing where we started making some movement on it was in i believe two months ago r slash r place on reddit where everybody was going around and designing their own big space of this giant grid our creators see the value and how much we can engage our audience with that. So we have to be on those trends daily. So things are consistently shifting no matter what in our content strategy, because ultimately we have to educate and entertain people based upon, you know, um, hot topics that are in the industry or what's on Twitter or what's on Twitch or what's on live stream fails. So there's a lot more, there's a lot more audibling in this space than there was in traditional media. Um, but again, there are so many similarities and differences, uh, that make it so beautiful because I'm learning something new every single day. Right. I think that's one of those things that, you know, one of our previous guests had mentioned is that, you know, brands have to be a bit more nimble in this space. They have to know that if there's a hot trend that they can capitalize, they have to be able to capitalize on it. It can't be like, oh, it's a three month process and a six month approval and, you know, we'll get it by next year. And it's just like that ship has sailed in two weeks from now and it's being able to understand that that's how you really succeed by capitalizing on those openings. Yeah. And, and you, you said it perfectly. It's, it's not something that we can wait a month whenever a trend has come out yesterday. If, for example, even boiling it down to something as simple as a sound, what people are finding is now there's even trending sounds, trending audio that if you don't capitalize on that within a week by making content centric around that, then you're going to lose it. And there's going to be another trend that takes its place. 
I mean, think back to whenever we were balancing Swiffers or balancing brooms because the moon was over <laughs> over the earth a certain way to where it would do that. That trend lasted for, what, a week? Think about the mannequin challenge. Think about Harlem Shake, all that stuff. It lasted. It had its time. So you just have to be very adaptable and be able to shift and change and move. And brands have to accept that because that's the way the world works. Right. If, if that's the consumer they want, the one who's cutting edge and, you know, cutting the wire and is where this real purchase power is, that's how they act. That's what how they do things. It's like they like a show today, but the next episode is not as good. Now the show is terrible and the next episode is great. And, oh, I love this show again. Right. Yeah. And, and there's so many ebbs and flows to it. It's uh, but it's forever changing. And isn't that the beauty in it, though? Isn't that what why we all got into it? It's because it's exciting and it's innovative. Yeah. And it's the pulse of, like you said, what's hot, what's popular, you know, what everyone in the popular culture world is talking about that if, you know, you're not up on the new Netflix show or what just came out on Disney Plus, you're not in most conversations. Right. And and if you're not going with the ebbs and flows of the industry, the industry is going to leave you behind. Um, regardless if that's an organization, brand partner, or whatever it may be. Definitely. So what are some social media platforms that, you know, you notice brands prefer or request more often? Is there one, you know, TikTok, YouTube, Twitch, or is it just kind of a combination? I think I might have a different answer than what you've heard before. Um, I think it's wherever you have the most impact. For example, OTK has the most impact on Twitter. That's that's where all of our creators have the largest following in their digital strategy besides Twitter or Twitch and YouTube where they're actually producing content. So I think on part, it's leveraging whichever social channel that you have the most in reach, engagement on, and then putting brand partners there. Because if if one of your platforms isn't doing as well, you're not speaking to the power of the organization nearly as much as you could be. So I think it differs from brand to brand, from person to person, from creator to creator. Um, but I do think that there is a lot of power in diversifying your digital portfolio. So we can leverage brand partners across multiple different platforms, Twitter, YouTube, Twitch, TikTok, Instagram, all of them. 100%. And I think that, you know, I'd wrote an article about this a while ago that we have this, you know, influencer dilemma where most of the esports and gaming, all the conversation, all the highlights, everything was very Twitter centered and centric. But most brands, and especially the traditional, the non endemic ones, they don't, the statistics show that there's just not much value in using Twitter, that Instagram is much higher engagement rate, it sells products better, it's a visually driven medium. And then we see TikTok that's just, you know, views out the, to the moon. So it's interesting. And it's, you know, one of these hurdles that I know I dealt with initially when I was doing this years ago was it's like, yeah, like you said, they have these huge numbers on Twitter, but it doesn't necessarily echo on say Instagram or, you know, maybe even YouTube where, you know, these companies maybe value it more. So it's always this balancing act and you know, like you said, it's finding brands that understand that the, that the fans of this person are probably engaging with them and following them on Twitter. Even if that's not necessarily the platform that you've historically been successful with, this is different. And it goes back to the previous point of being nimble, where it's just understanding that the market and the innovation, the way you get to people has changed. So you can change and adapt with it and go where the conversation is. Or you can do what you're doing. Right. Yeah. And it, and you, you said it perfectly. And I do think that like industry, industry averages and industry standards sometimes that brands look at, it's so dependent from organization to organization because the content strategy of those creators might have fallen on one platform or another. And I think, like you said, it's important to diversify. Absolutely, let's let's use multiple channels to engage as many uh, as many viewers as we can. But if we know historically, and we can provide historical data on why this is going to be successful on this platform, we'll do that. Awesome. So, what's any advice you have for anyone trying to work with a brand, including you know what you guys are doing at OTK? It's a great question, man. Um, <sighs> Advice I have, I think 
for an organization or a creator, it is so important to never compromise your content depending on a campaign or what somebody like me is telling you to do. Because ultimately, you have been the one to create your platform and build it to where it is today. So let's let you do everything that you need to do. But for me, my the important part about what I do is aligning brands with that idea. So for any content creators, any organizations out there going out, you know, going out to market, reaching out to people, getting inbound, whatever it may be, just know that some people might not understand why that specific model for that content is going to be successful more than you. So make sure to always track why. There has to be that why section. Numbers like engagement rate, previous content that's similar, past brands you've worked with, anything like that is so valuable in their eyes because not only are you saying, this is going to work because of this, my community really likes it. It's saying, hey, for example, we want you guys to partner together on school. Let's say I'm going and talking to another cryptocurrency company. The reason why is because when we worked with Coinbase, there was such an authentic relationship between educating our viewers on Coinbase Wallet and integrating it into the show. And this is why it's going to be successful based upon these certain metrics. So I think it's important to have both appeal to the emotion of why it's going to be successful, but then on the back end have evidence to support that. Definitely. And I think it's, you know, one of these kind of challenges, especially when you're working these entertainment fields where, you know, you have a corporate, like you said, a corporate read, the copy, what their messagery is, what they want to kind of get across. Then you also have this creator who might have his own style and his own flair and what he wants to say and how he wants to say it. And it's being able to kind of balance this, getting the message and what you're paid to do while also still being authentic to who you are. And, you know, I think, as you said, there's some campaigns that fall flat and others that succeed. And it really, I think, hinges on that balance where the creator has to create, but they also have to create within this box that you have for them. Right. And it's, you know, we're both viewers, right? Like we both, I'm sure you've watched your fair share of Twitch streams and so have I. What's going to like, Something I always like to think about, it's like, hey, before I, you know, was was in this industry and working in this industry, what would have appealed to me if this brand was put in front of me? S-Fan doing his Coach S-Fan segment to talk about Outplayed definitely would appeal to me. Makes me laugh, creates a lot of different emotions in me. And now you have me interested typing in www.outplayed or clicking a link in chat because I want to learn more now because my favorite creator believes in this create was able to communicate it in such a fun new way that it makes me interested about the brand naturally but if somebody just read off a hey you should go and check out outplayed like that that's not going to do anything for me because there's no context there's no emotion built into that messaging a hundred percent. So, I mean, kind of bringing this towards the end, what's some advice you have for anyone that's trying to kind of work in the esports business? I know you came from the more traditional space and now you're obviously succeeding in it. So how can other people follow your path? Yeah, man. Um, like, like I said, at the beginning of all this, I, I came in with no esports, no gaming background whatsoever. And the most important thing somebody can do, if I had to speak to 20 year old me, it would be build up your transferable skills. Learn, for example, I'm going to use sales because that's that's what I've been educated and know the best. Figure out how to prospect. Figure out how to approach brands. Know how to talk with people. Uh, learn how to put together presentations, pitch decks. Hey, maybe even learn a little bit of graphic design. Because what, what happens if your graphic designer is sick one day and you need to create a proposal for a brand? All of those things are so important. Even if they might not be directly with the job responsibility, it is so, so important that you just learn the basics. It's like giving an NFL player a playbook and saying, hey, learn this. It's, it's straightforward. It shows you how to run your routes. It shows where you should be cutting on your slant. All of that is from industry to industry is pretty similar. 
And then just on the back of that, once you have an opportunity or once you're talking with somebody about an opportunity, educate yourself on what's going on. Know the new people in this space. For example, Gucci and Face It just did a brand new thing. Gucci has done some integrations with Ubisoft in the past. I believe it was their Riders game. I can't remember the full name of it. But they've done some developer integrations. And then now we're starting to see them shift more into, hey, here's the competitive gaming scene. And then now, hey, let's start working with some creators. So educate and yourself they had on that. 100 Thieves backpack, which we all know how successful that was. Right. Right. And, and there's so many creative opportunities out there. And just know that and know that this is all an oyster. People are all learning. People are all connecting with others. They want to get in part of wherever they can. So don't don't ever feel afraid to reach out for, you know, help or for information or for um, just a conversation to anybody in the industry. Because I know I've in the past had many meetings with people that are trying to learn how to get into the space. And I say the same thing, just Build up, build up those foundations, build up what the necessities are for your position and what you're trying to do, and then educate yourself on the space. Absolutely. I think that's some amazing advice for everyone out there. So what's your favorite part about working in the esports and gaming space? Man, I I think the the best part is, is, you know, I'm I'm not sure if you've had any of those jobs in the past, Justin, uh, where it's just a soul sucking, you know, like it's you wake up, you go to your nine to five, you're off at five and then you work out and then you go eat dinner and then you, you go to bed and you do it all over again. This business is nothing like that. Nothing like that. There is something new every single day for you to tackle. There's some new problem that you have to solve. There's this new advancement on Twitter where we got to figure out how we can integrate it into our content. How can we audible? How can we change? How can we innovate? There's these questions are constant in this industry because no one's really, you know, there isn't an Amazon of this industry. I mean, Twitch, but you get my point. There isn't these large enterprise organizations that have completely taken over the market of the space. It's all out there and it's all seizable and it's still in its infancy. I remember early 2000s, Justin TV was still around, right? Like X-Fire was still around, right? And then now we're finding that people are running these huge game shows with over 100,000 people on Twitch when you barely saw 5,000 in the early 2000s. Like, that's that's amazing. So there's there's so much upward trajectory for this space. And it's so exciting to where you're constantly innovating and changing and learning and meeting people and everything in between. Definitely. I think that's one of the, you know, the hardest part, but also one of the, the greatest parts. Like, you know, I was went from the entertainment world where it's like that was a 24-7 world and this is like 25-10. Like it's just constant where like if you don't – if you're off the computer or, you know, not keeping up with it for a day or two or a month or a week, like it's a wrap. Yeah. You go on vacation and everything's different. It's, it's, it's unreal. It's truly incredible. But like you said, it's the, it's the struggle, but the fun in it. So to kind of conclude this, you know, what's the future for OTK? You know, where are they going from here? Man, the future is the future. Like I said, if this industry is an oyster, man, we're, we're going full force into it, man. Um, the future of OTK is, is going to be brand new spanking innovative content pieces like you've never seen before on Twitch. It's going to be expanding our talent pool into some of these unbelievable creators that are going to fit seamlessly into what we do. It's figuring it's on the back end, back end of things, building great relationships with brand partners that could come along this journey with us. Um, And then ultimately just staying true to what the bread and butter of OTK is, which is started out as a group of friends trying to make some amazing content. And as we grow and as we learn and as we have more resources and things to leverage, we, the, the opportunities are endless. And we're going to find that, you know, if you know, OTK's model, we've quadrupled in growth since we started. And I think that's just going to continue. Well, that's amazing. So, you know, good luck to you guys. I definitely think that this is one of these, you know, additions to the textbook talking about, you know, talent coming together and creating these real media enterprises as a new way to kind of monetize themselves. So it's amazing to, you know, 
be involved and see the pioneers of that. So thank you so much for joining us. This was extremely insightful. So everybody, where can everyone find you and connect with OTK and, you know, see what you guys are working on? Yeah, man. Um, so LinkedIn, just Brett Ferguson. If you type in business development at OTK, you'll find me there. Um, Twitter, it's Buttadog with two G's, B-U-T-T-A-D-O-G-G. A um, little bit more casual, but if you guys want to follow me there, that's cool too. Um, and pretty much all the other tags for anything else, Twitch, YouTube, all that's Buttadog too. Uh, for OTK, uh, it's at OTK Network on Twitter. Um, you can find very similar tag handles on everything else. Um, and then obviously otknetwork.com. Uh, you can learn more about our creators, events in the past, current brand partners. And, um, you know, if you, if you are a brand partner looking to break into the space, be more than happy to chat with you and learn about how we can, how we can work together. Well, definitely make sure to give it a follow and check out what they're working on. Cause it's clearly, you know, at the cutting edge of this whole industry and, Thanks, everybody, again, for tuning in. Make sure to follow me on Twitter, Justin J-E-S-Q. Check Apple Podcasts for all our past episodes. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash blue wire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.